the message I'm going to give you tonight is one that's actually in the book. And it's not geared to parents in particular. Um, I think it will reach everyone. But if you have that in the back of your mind, that what I wrote then um, with this new information now, uh, you might say it's just, it's unbelievable the way God works in our lives. Sometimes we just, we don't realize it, but it really is. So let's begin. Can you imagine if Jesus were walking down your street? If you were in your neighborhood and he were walking down your street, maybe you're looking out the kitchen window and you see Jesus and his entourage of disciples. Now, if you saw that, what would you say to him? Surely you would have some burning question or some issue and you'd run out to him and say, Lord, help me with. I mean, what is that one thing that has been on your heart and on your mind that if, if Jesus were right there, you would say, Lord, can you, can you help me with this? A few years ago, it was, um, it was a tough winter. It was, that, it was the year, the winter, in which we had here in the Boston area, we had three blizzards like in a row. Do you remember that? And the snow was piled high until July in the, the uh, plazas. It was just unbelievable. And I remember it was a difficult season. My husband, Rich, uh, there were some issues related to work. Work was very stressful at the time. And we were going through some things with the kids and uh, my parents. Uh, both of them had been in the hospital. And, I, and it was February, which is just a miserable month here in New England. And I remember thinking, Lord, I just need a little mercy. And if he had been walking through my neighborhood, I would have run out and said, Lord, just a little bit of mercy, please. That's all I need. Well, I remember during that time, and I remember this because it rarely happens, but Rich came home with flowers. And my husband does not normally do that, but he came home with a bundle of yellow tulips. And I love tulips because they're the harbingers of spring. And it reminds me that good things are coming. And I plunge this stiff bunch of tulips in a blue vase, and I set the blue vase up on the piano. And the days went by, and you know I still needed that mercy. And about a week went by, and I looked at those tulips, and they were still cinched shut, tight. They would not open. And I remember looking at them and saying, why won't you open? And I looked at God up to, the, up to the heavens, and I said, Lord, why won't you release your mercy on me? And I felt as if God was being tight-pedaled with me in regard to his mercy. Lord, just <laughs> release it to me. And I felt like he was cinched tight. Well, today we meet a woman from Matthew chapter 15. Beginning in verse 21, this is a Canaanite woman or the Syrophoenician woman. It's an interesting story in scripture that raises a lot of questions. So Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, this is a woman who sees Jesus in her neighborhood and she knows exactly what she wants from him. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. 
Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So here we have a woman who sees Jesus in her neighborhood. And when she sees him, she knows exactly what she wants. And she cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession right there in verse 22. It's interesting here that she's, of course, worried about her daughter. But when she approaches Jesus, she says, Lord, have mercy on me. Not have mercy on my daughter. She says, Lord, have mercy on me. But you know what that's like. You know that if you have ever cared for someone long and hard and with everything you've got, then you know what it's like to cry out to God for mercy. Of course she wants mercy for her daughter, but she needs mercy. Because as a woman, as a mother, she cannot sleep at night. Because she's up in the middle of the night worrying about her daughter. She's worrying about what her future will be like. Does she have a future? She's ruminating about the past and maybe mistakes she made with, with this girl. So she's worrying. She's ruminating. She can't sleep at night. Lord, have mercy on me. She can't sleep at night because off in the distance she hears her daughter crying. But this mother can offer her daughter no help. There's nothing she can do. She's tried everything. So this mother needs mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. This mother needs mercy because she looks at this little girl. And what she gets back is a vacant stare. And she wonders, where is her daughter? So she cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. This mother needs mercy because she remembers only a few days before when she was in the marketplace, walking through, through the marketplace with her daughter, how other parents who were raising typical children crossed to the other side to shield their kids from her daughter. Of course, this mother cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. And when she asks this, of course, she's asking as a woman. She's asking as a mother, but she's also asking for God's mercy as an outsider. You see, she was not Jewish. She's not from Israel. Uh, she's a Gentile. She's an outsider. And as an outsider, she was not an approved recipient of God's mercy. She was not expected to receive God's mercy. That was for God's covenant people, his people. Yet, she asks for mercy as a woman, as a mother, as an outsider. She even asks as an enemy. Matthew uses this odd designation. In verse 22, he says a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. Canaanite is just a strange word. I mean, it's thrown around all the time in the Old Testament, but it is only used this one time in the New Testament, just once. Why? 
There were no Canaanites in New Testament times. They simply did not exist. But Matthew uses this word, it's likely because of the images that it conjures up, negative images. He's trying to show us how the Jewish people felt about a woman from this region. Once a Canaanite, always a Canaanite. You see, the Canaanites long ago, they were the people who led the Israelites into idolatry. The Canaanites were the Israelites' downfall. So they looked at this woman. Jesus, don't go near her. She's your downfall. She doesn't deserve God's mercy. She's an enemy of God. So here we've got this woman, this mother, this outsider, even an enemy who cries out to God because she knows exactly what she needs from Jesus for mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. But in verse 23, Jesus does not answer a word. That is not my Sunday school Jesus. But he doesn't say a thing. And you read this and you think, Jesus, what is going on? But then we're told his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. It's almost as if Jesus is intentionally quiet. You know, he's giving his disciples a chance. Guys, how would you handle this? Hey, we've got this woman, this mother, this outsider, this enemy. How would you respond to her? So he keeps quiet to see what they'll do. And their answer, they gather together and deliberate. It's easy. Send her away, Lord. That's what we do. Send her away. She keeps crying out after us. And it's almost as if Jesus takes their lead. And in verse 24, he says to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He's saying, listen, I was just sent to the Jewish people. I know I'm walking through your neighborhood, but I can't help you now. What an odd response. But this woman, verse 25, comes and kneels before him. Lord, help me, she says. So now we've got this woman, this mother, this outsider, this enemy who has stopped the flow of traffic. Okay, she's on her hands and knees in front of him. Nobody can move now. And again, she begs for mercy. Help me. You see, she knows that Jesus is the only one who can give her the mercy that she needs. So she sticks with him. She continues to pursue him despite this crowd that is gathered around her and guarantee there are more people there than the disciples. And they are hostile people around her. People who see her as a, a, just a woman who didn't count for anything, an outsider, an enemy. And there they are with the snarls, the, the glares, and the stares, and the whispers. The whispers that say, mm -mm, she does not deserve God's mercy. And they're right. She didn't deserve God's mercy. But neither did they. And the truth is, none of us deserve God's mercy. God's mercy. God's mercy hung on a wooden cross. God's mercy was sealed in a tomb, covered with a cold stone slab. God's mercy rose with the dawn on Easter morning. God's mercy is the peace treaty that's been signed in the blood of Jesus that says, forgiven, fully, freely, forever. None of us deserve God's mercy. Not one of us. But God gives it to us just the same. So here we have this woman. She's on her hands and knees, and she is crying out for God's 
mercy because she knows Jesus is the only one who can give her the mercy she needs. And then Jesus says in verse 26, this stinger, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Wow. Now commentators have tried to soften that throughout the centuries. And it is true that in the Greek, it's a little dog. But using the, do the term dog was an insult. There's no way around it. There's just no way around it. It was an insult. It's really not a polite thing to say. And this is a thing where you think, oh man, I wish I could just take that verse out of the Bible. Or Jesus means a marketing person. But there it is. And the question is, what on earth is going on? Ken Bailey was a scholar uh, who lived in the Middle East for 40 years. And he writes about this passage and he says, Jesus is very intentional about what he's doing. What he's doing is he's trying to teach his disciples something. It's a major teacher, teaching moment. He wants to demonstrate to his disciples what their prejudices look like when they're actually acted upon. So it's like this. He knows how his disciples view this woman as a woman that counts for nothing a mom, an outsider, an enemy. He knows that's in their hearts. So he's taking those prejudices and he's showing them in real life right there what it looks like if you really act on those prejudices. And it's as if Jesus is saying, are you really comfortable with this scene? Are you really comfortable with this woman on her hands and knees begging for mercy and you turning her away? You're okay with that? Jesus is trying to show them that God's mercy extends far beyond than what they could ever imagine. They have this small view of God's mercy that it was set aside for a select group of people, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 my mercy is far bigger than you could ever imagine. Randall mentioned that I've got three boys and this little girl. Well, the three boys are school age, and I remember when Jack, our oldest, started school, the school was uh, right behind us uh, here in Newburyport, and I walked over, and I filled out my quarry, and I got my fingerprints done, and I said, I would love to volunteer. So they gave me a cafeteria duty, and I don't know if you work in a school or if you've ever done cafeteria duty, but... It's, it's a lot of uh, picking up, helping kids open milk cartons, and little kids with tippy, uh, you know, topsy-turvy trays, styrofoam trays that uh, fall right before the trash can, and there's ketchup. Ketchup everywhere. And it's loud, incredibly loud. So I did, I did that for a year, and every time I left uh, cafeteria duty, I just had this little headache, and uh, it persisted for the day. And the next time around when Sam was in school, I said, I, you know, can I try something other than cafeteria duty? And they said, we need help on the playground. What about recess duty? So I said, okay, I'll give recess duty a try. But you know, here in New England, I mean, those kids go out in all kinds of weather. It doesn't matter what it is. So you have to, you have to get them ready. So I was helping with the boots. I was helping with the mittens and the I, my nose is running. Can you give me a tissue? And, you know, I felt like I was, I was really just hollering all the time outside. Slow down. Too fast. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't climb that high. And then I, I left 
uh, every time after recess duty, and I was chilled to the bone, and I had a little headache. By the time Timothy got into school, I talked to Elaine, the receptionist, and we had become uh, friends by this point. I said, Elaine, you, you got to get me out of the cafeteria in recess. Is there anything else I can do? And she said, what about the library, Pat? You're going to love the library. And she really helped me out. So the library was great. I got there a few minutes before Timmy's uh, pre-K class entered, three and four-year-olds, which is funny because they can't read. But I got there a little early, and I was stacking all the literary greats like, um, you know, uh, Mr. Fly Guy and uh, Captain Underpants. And all the little kids were lined up perfectly still, quiet, like little toy soldiers, because it was the library. <laughs> this is wonderful. So the little kids came in, and they were allowed to pick out these big picture books that were all set up in a little stand. And they had a couple little steps, a little nook where the kids could sit. And I got to sit down, and all these cute little kids came up and wanted me to read to them. And I remember Timmy grabbed a dinosaur book one time, and he sat right on my lap, and he opened up the book. But off in the distance, there was another little boy We'll call him Brian. Uh, and Brian was a bumbling kind of boy. Uh, he couldn't just select one book. He selected many books, and they would fall, and he'd leave this trail of books. And Brian always had what we call here in our home magical mucus, just this green stream of stuff coming out of his nose that once we said, Brian, get a tissue, he wiped it, and it would magically reappear again. And he was disheveled, and he was not, he did not come from the lap of luxury. But when he saw my lap, he thought that would be a luxury. And he wanted to sit on my lap, too. So with a little uh, twist of the hip, he knocked my son right off of my lap onto the ground. And Brian plopped himself down, and he had a monster truck book. And Timmy, of course, climbed back up and with his dinosaur book. And I was caught between these two books, monster trucks and dinosaurs, and I didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, the library became very stressful. And... Finally, Timmy, with the saddest face imaginable, looked at me and said, Mom, make him go away. Make him go away. That's what's going on with the disciples. Make her go away. God's lap is not big enough for somebody like her. God's mercy is not big enough for her. So Jesus is teaching his disciples that God's mercy is so much bigger than they ever could have imagined. But he's doing much more than that. Jesus is also testing this woman's faith. And boy, does he push her to the outer limits. He's testing her faith. And he wants to see what her faith is made out of. Our, our little guy, Timmy, plays cello. Um, I, I use the word play loosely when I say it. Uh, we have a cello at home. But um, he, he practices it every so often. And when he first got it, it was out of tune. And apparently that was my job to tune the cello. And I know nothing about string instruments. So I saw these big pegs up top, and then you get some fine tuning pegs on the bottom. So I went right for these big pegs up top. If you play a string instrument, you're cringing right now. And I gave uh, those, those pegs a big old twist. 
And of course, the uh, string just snapped right off and shot across the room. And Timmy cried, Mom, you broke my cello. But sometimes don't you feel as if God is tightening the strings of your faith? He's tightening them. And you feel like you might actually snap. Have you ever been there where you feel like it's some situation, whatever is going on in your life, and you feel like, okay, Lord, I can't take anymore. I need your mercy now. Like, I'm about to snap, Lord. Well, he does tighten those strings. But he will never tighten us to the point where we break. He will not test us and tighten us to the point where we actually snap. But boy, in this passage, he gets awfully close. But he does that to see what this woman's faith is made out of. And even as those strings are being tightened, she continues to pursue Jesus. And that is great faith. She says to Jesus, she's got this great reply, yes, Lord, in verse 27, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She could have stomped off angry when he spoke to her. She could have run away in tears. She should have said, why did I ever come here? This was a mistake, but she doesn't. She sticks with Jesus because she knows he and he alone has the mercy that she needs. And that's true for us. God alone has the mercy we need for our situation. So if you feel like you're in some situation and those strings are being tightened and you're going to break, can you just hold on? Can you just wait? Because the way he will grow your faith in those tightening times is unbelievable. She has great faith. It's interesting, if you look at the chapter before this, it's the story uh, when the, the storm is, uh, uh, Jesus is out on uh, the lake, and the disciples are in the boat, and Peter jumps out and starts walking on the water, and a storm comes up, and Peter takes his eyes off of him, and he sinks. Do you know what Jesus says to him in that last verse? He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Can you imagine what Peter was thinking as he heard Jesus command this woman, this mother, this outsider, this enemy, and tell her that she had great faith? He must have replayed that in his mind, that he, the big dog disciple, was told that he had little faith. Jesus is doing so much in this passage. He's teaching his disciples that God's mercy is bigger than they could ever imagine, and he's testing this woman. He's testing her faith. Well, back to those tulips. It was a difficult day at the Batten household. And the fragrance in the house was the smell of taco meat simmering in the pan, permeating every nook and cranny of our home. The kitchen was in full swing and I was head cook. We topped our shells with mounds of cheese and a heaping side of supper time insanity. The dogs and the cat played a wild game of tag under our feet and the, cat, the kids raced back and forth, fetching balls and Legos and army men and spelling homework. Rich and I barked out orders to insubordinate soldiers. The scene was in uncivilized. 
I had uh, thrown my back out earlier that morning and I was sitting with a, an old fashioned hot water bottle heater against my back and uh, the chair. And the little guy came up and he zoomed all hot and red and sweaty and he, he pressed his elbows, you know how kids do that? Right into my lap. And I jolted, hurt my back, and he got real close to me. And with a pudgy little finger, he looked up at that vase of tulips and said, Mom, look, your tulips hatched. And I just couldn't believe the way he said it. I couldn't help but smile because he was right. My tulips had hatched. And it's true for you, it's true for all of us, that God's mercy does bloom. The most unexpected places and the most unexpected times. So keep great faith. Keep great faith because God's mercy blooms. Sometimes in the most unexpected ways, but it blooms, it hatches. Thanks, everybody.